You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Today I will be um, relaying a message from Stephen Thompson that cannot be here today. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Martin Luther King Jr. writes these words from the Birmingham jail. His time in a cell due his participation in nonviolent demonstrations against segregation in Alabama. In this letter, he jokingly refers to as a book due to its lengthiness. He refers to a inescapable network of mutuality. Keep in mind that he writes this letter in response to a public statement of concern and caution issued by eight white religious leaders of the South. Pertaining to the way that King was leading and fighting for an America where his four children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the context of their character. Before I break down the importance of this inescapable network of mutuality for our lives today, I want to take you back to one of my earliest moments of Dr. King, which happens to be tied into a movie I watched as a little boy called Our Friend Martin. Growing up, I absolutely loved this movie, and at hour-long children's program, it follows the lives of two friends, Miles, a young black man, and Randy, a young white man, who gets transported back in time, getting to live life with a young Martin, before being transported back to their present-day reality. As I watched this movie, literally being transported back to a time period where I would have been openly considered less by many men and women due to the color of my skin, the person of MLK was teaching me to value loving my neighbor. He taught me to stand up for, for justice even though it was hard. He taught me that I would have the responsibility, whether I have chosen it or been placed on my shoulders or not, to stand up for what is right whenever my life takes me. And why should I do these things? Why should I love when it's hard? Why fight for justice whenever complacency is easy and confrontation sucks sometimes? Why bear this burden myself when there is 7.6 billion people on this earth and someone else can do it? Because I want to be like Martin. See, I've taught myself from a young age that Jesus calls us to live a Christian life, and that contradicts the cultural norms of society. And I have matured in my faith and stepped into a relationship with Jesus. The words of Dr. King ring even louder in my ears. Especially as someone that has grown up in the American church, he writes, I hope the whole church will meet the challenge of this decisive hour. The contemporary church is so often a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound. And it is so often that the arch supporter of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's often vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as ever before. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. I meet young people every day whose disappointment with the church has risen to outright disgust. Church, Asbury, we will meet the challenge of the decisive hour that we find ourselves in today. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man that God used as a vessel to change the lives of billions of people. 
And though the inescapable network of mutuality that he breaks down in this letter from Birmingham jail, I believe that it's the duty, the privilege, and the honor of the Christian church to continue the work of fighting for an America where our kids will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And ultimately, to live a life driven by a true relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. valued, a relationship with the only one who can give life to the broken that we find ourselves living in today. Thank you. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has become one of the most influential figures in the history of the United States. Sometimes with a figure so iconic, the person becomes something more of a caricature, and the ideas the individual advocated for become simplified into a few bullet points. Yet Dr. King is a figure that continually defies these simplifications when his work is genuinely examined. As I prepared to share today and revisited some of King's most famous speeches and letters, I was struck by how well many of his words seem to meet our current moment, even though they were written over 50 years ago. In some ways, this serves as a reminder of how far we still have to go in the fight for racial reconciliation and justice in our society. The task is by no means completed, and we would be ill-advised to move forward with that assumption. Though he is a widely celebrated figure today, Dr. King faced adamant opposition for the duration of his career. It is important for us to hold this context in our minds as we encounter his most famous quotes and when we remember his legacy. We must avoid the temptation to alter reality to make him more palatable by offering his words of inspiration and avoiding his poignant critiques of society. On another note, Dr. King was not beyond exhaustion of, with the stagnation of efforts. Most who have dedicated any portion of their life to work regarding racial reconciliation and social justice feel this burden of slowness when it comes to significant progress. Often it is just after we feel we have made the most progress, bitter reminders of what yet still needs to be done arise. Yes, many meaningful changes have been made since King's time, but these changes are not adequate to address the fullness of the issues drawn from ideas of white supremacy so deeply ingrained in our system. Dr. King writes in his letter from a Birmingham jail, for years now I've heard the word wait. Wait has almost always meant never. We must, continue, we must come to see that justice too long delayed is justice denied. King holds everyone to a high standard. He calls for the marginalized to continue their calls for justice even when retaliation appears inevitable. He also clearly calls out in action on the subjects that truly matter, particularly addressing the comfortable moderate majority, which often hesitates to take any significant action. This speaks into greater conversations about allyship that have arisen in recent months. The marginalized can continue to cry out for justice and equity, but until some members of the majority choose to further the cause, nothing will be done. King didn't believe that time would set everything right on its own. It takes the concentrated effort of people, as he puts it, to be co-workers with God to avoid the status quo continuing. Additionally, as a member of the Latina community in the U.S., King holds special significance to me. Don't get me wrong, all minoritized groups in the United States do not face the same issues or with the same severity, but we do share in the role of other in the American system. As other, our battles for representation come from the same fundamental assertion that we have the right to advocate for the well-being of our people in the sometimes exclusive institutions of power that exist in our country. Marginalized communities everywhere benefit from the bold action of people like King who demand more from our systems. In King's words, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. 
This serves as a reminder that unity cannot be achieved by ignoring issues in our society, but must be achieved by addressing them together. King also said the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of convenience and comfort, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. We can be encouraged by the changes that have been made and at the same time be compelled to carry on working for a more complete fulfillment of his vision. So I've come to realize that I am a polite, racist white man. Now, I'm concerned with racism and social injustice. I acknowledge it. I might even denounce it when asked. But I let it happen around me, and I even sometimes let it happen in my own heart. Martin Luther King Jr. knew this about the white majority population. He recognized it, he warned about it, and through his work, he calls us to a higher standard to judge on the content of character and not on the color of skin. But as a member of the Caucasian American community, I must be willing to step beyond just this. MLK spurs us to grow past simply rejecting racism from a distance, but to actively extinguish it at its source, in ourselves, in others, and in our institutions. As I watch modern events of racial injustice unfold around me, as I watch the division among the public and among leaders pool to create more and more and more tension, I'm quick to claim that, that hatred and that inequality, that's all gross, that's all sinful, but that's not me. I'm quick to claim that these oppressors are doing, saying wrong, sinful things, but that's not me. So just as quick as I am to judge through my screen, through my Instagram feed, I quickly brush it off and I brush off any hint of responsibility. I go back to my day, I go back to scrolling through my feed, and I push a better feeling narrative through the holes in my face. I do this all the time. But as I pull away the inequality that's up in my face, I actually create the very tension I selfishly am running from. I create the division. So I said a lot of times I pull away. But even when I pull, I am not turning my back to the sin. I am simply running away from addressing it. Here are some quick, honest, brave examples from my own life where I am running away from the sin of racism and not addressing it. Quick disclaimer, I'm not proud of this, and I'm working on these things daily. I turn my back on the sin of racism and I run from it without addressing it when I get nervous when someone of a minority culture walks by me at night. I run away from the sin of racism without addressing it when I genuinely have caught myself in my college classes thinking that someone of a different race must be doing worse in the class simply because of the stereotypes that surround their color of skin. I run away from the sin of racism without addressing it when I think of a hero, but I can only think of a white, strong man. Now just take a second. Even if you're sure that you and what goes on around you is free from racial injustice, take a second and really consider something that you may be running from addressing. 
60 years ago, Martin Luther King recognized this running. In one of his essays to whites in the North, he points out, they welcomed me to their cities and showered praise on the heroism of Southern Negroes. Yet when the issues were joined concerning local conditions, only the language was polite. The rejection was firm and unequivocal. I'm from Pennsylvania, so this resonates with me all the more as a Northerner. But whether you're from the North, if you are part of the majority, I urge you to look at your local conditions, your heart conditions, because I know that in my local area, I have divide, and I have divide that needs addressed. In the 1960s, a group of white politicians from Atlanta would politely meet in secret at the Butler Street YMCA. They called themselves the Hungry Club, and they were there to meet with local black leaders out of the public eye. On May 10th of 1967, Martin Luther King Jr. spoke to the Hungry Club to acknowledge the progress that had been made on civil rights in Atlanta, but to address the three major evils that perpetuated the endangerment of black Americans. In his message, he declared, I'm convinced that segregation is as dead as a doornail in its legal sense. And the only thing uncertain about it now is how costly some will make the funeral. But we must not allow this progress to cause us to engage in a superficial, dangerous optimism. The plant of freedom has grown only a bud and not yet a flower. The Corinthians were facing a different kind of division, but as they argued about leadership, right versus wrong, listen to what Paul had to say. It still applies. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? When af what, after all, is Apollos? What, after all, is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each of them their task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. Asbury, we are and we must continue growing as a university and as a country. We are listening and we are learning. We are growing like flowers. But MLK provides the proper nutrients to push us further. So if you're sitting there like me, as a polite flower, but allowing some other flowers to suffer, I'm not asking you to be a flower anymore. I'm asking you to be an active part of the garden that Christ has prepared, has prepared us all to flourish in. I'm asking you to be an active part of the field that Paul talks about. Thank you. I stand before you today, I hope, as an adequate member of the Asian American, international, and multicultural communities, and to explain how, in light of my diverse background, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life and legacy allow me to even be here today, and how they have impacted all the communities I have become a part of. I was born in China to a white American father and a Hakka Chinese mama. His name elicited responses like, oh, that I had a dream speech guy, or the man who helped black people, or the civil rights leader, 
all of which are superficial summations of who Martin Luther King truly was, what he did, and what he stood for, and perhaps the same responses you would find here today. Coming to college in the US, MLK became a holiday, a break from classes. But I, as I learned more about him in classes, books, videos, I came to understand the vast and immeasurable impact MLK had on racial equality, justice, activism, politics, theology, and humanity in general. So as a member of the Asian American community, I want to express undying gratitude to Martin Luther King, his work, his legacy. I want to say thank you to the countless of black brothers and sisters whose lives have and are actively bringing liberty and equality, not only to their own people, but to generations of Asian Americans and other people of color. As Pastor Moses Lee writes in one of his articles, we must remember that today's generation of Asian Americans are able to thrive in this country today, not because of willpower or ambition, but because of the path that was paved for them by the blood and tears of African Americans. Our gratitude is long overdue. It was Frederick Douglass who denounced the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. Martin Luther King stood against segregation of all people of color and fought against immigration quotas based on nationality. In the late 1960s, a coalition of ethnic students, including the Black Student Union, the Latin American Student Organization, and the Asian American Political Alliance, came together to help bring about equal education opportunities in the US. The victories against injustice and inequality against one minority group is a victory for all minority groups. Asian American activists Yuri Kochiyama, Grace Lee Boggs, understood this as they marched alongside MLK during the Civil Rights Movement. <clears throat> as a member of the international and cross-cultural communities, I want to say that Martin Luther King's life does and should matter to us. I understand where you're coming from. It's easy to think that MLK was just an American hero, that racial injustice is just an American problem, that I'm here for four years and then I'm gone. Why do I care? Many of, us, many of you are the majority in your country, so why does MLK matter? Because you are part of a community. Millions of people have come to the US from your countries because of MLK. His legacy continues to fight for their livelihood, their equality, their justice, their right to be treated as a human being. You would not be sitting here today if it was not for Martin Luther King. Why does MLK matter? Because his message of peace, equality, and justice is transnational. It matters to the people in your countries. Wherever you are from, there are the marginalized, the oppressed, and the suffering. MLK's life should matter to you if you want to carry that message home and make an impact there. And finally, as a member of humanity, I want to say that Martin Luther King's life and legacy should matter to us all. The victories against injustice and inequality against one minority group, even one person, should matter to all of us, especially Asbury students, faculty, staff, people who are supposed to mirror and represent Christ. MLK was a herald for justice, liberty, peace, and love. MLK was a herald for the kingdom of God on earth, a kingdom in which his dream of unity and equality would be fulfilled. MLK lived a life that was dedicated to achieving Jesus' prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's a life that should matter to and inspire each and every one of you sitting here. So I leave you with this challenge. To live as Martin Luther King and live with a spirit of activity 
rather than complicity, a spirit of voice rather than silence, a spirit of peace rather than violence, and a spirit of love rather than hate. As we come together today in celebration of the legacy of Martin Luther King, I want to start with a quote. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. I would argue that when he says silence, he's not referring to just not speaking, but in action and complacency. I would argue that he did not live a passive life, a life of accepting the status quo and changing his expectations, but rather a life of conviction and conviction that led to action. I hope that these next five minutes and ultimately chapel today challenge you to move from a life of conviction to action despite its inevitable uncomfortability. Martin Luther King spoke in a letter from the Birmingham jail about tension, saying, but I must confess I am not afraid of the word tension. I've earnestly opposed violent tension, but there is a type of constructive, nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. To create the kind of tension in society that will help men rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. I think that the use of the word tension here is important for us to consider, especially in today's context. If you think about a rubber band, tension occurs when it's being pulled from both sides. But today we are so quick to revert back into our echoing chamber, surrounded by people who agree politically with us, look like us, believe the same as we do. But when we isolate ourselves from the other side, we remove any chance for tension. In the same way that a rubber band shrinks back into its original form, no longer being stretched or changed. However, there are chances for us every day to embrace the tension. As Joel spoke earlier, he holds this tension as he strives to do what he knows is right and true while dealing with his preconceived notions or subconscious beliefs. For me, I feel this tension when I talk to my dad about his experience as a police officer and hold his perspective while simultaneously holding the perspectives and experiences of my friends of color. Although this tension does not afford me answers, it does allow me to pursue truth. I can hold the validity of both sides and reach a deeper understanding while stretching and changing my own. Please don't confuse my intentions. I'm not saying to take all information as fact or truth. But as Christians, we have an obligation to our brothers and sisters in Christ to ensure that they are given and afforded the same access to opportunities and that that requires a lot of tension. I want to finish with this quote from Martin Luther King. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the most regrettable conclusion that the black man's greatest stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is in the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is in the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you and your goal to seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who patronistically believes that he can set a timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the black man to wait for a, quote, more convenient season shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. 
lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I want to focus in on those last two sentences. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is more bewildering than outright rejection. I hope that you let those two sentences sit with you as you consider your posture towards this gospel-oriented issue of inequity and inequality, to find places in relationships where tension can stretch you, to acknowledge places where your inaction and your neutrality is to the detriment of others, and to find places where your silence perpetuates the darkness and brokenness of a segmented society.